Welcome to the Not Bane Podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a black millennial view. Every Sunday, join Corey and me, Bay, your resident centre lefty, as we look at Parliament, the headlines and stories from across the pond and the diaspora. This week, the Queen opened Parliament. We had the Queen's speech on Tuesday, which is the annual address from the Queen to both Houses of Parliament, where she outlines the different bills which the government will be bringing forward in the upcoming year. Um, we are clearly not going to go through all of them because there were about probably about a good 15 different points. Um, but there are a couple that I want to I want us to have a quick chinwag about. Um, some of them relate to things we've discussed in previous episodes, so that should be interesting. Um, but it was it w- couldn't help notice this week she was uh, in much less pomp and circumstance. Usually, when the Queen opens Parliament, she's in her crown, her robes, you know, all the all the stuff. All the trappings of monarchy are on display. You've got a carriage ride from the palace. This week, she had to settle for going in the roller. So it was just her in the rolls. Um, obviously, this is a podcast. So you can't see my co-host rolling her eyes, rolling her Republican eyes. <laughs> but but yeah, that was it. Listen, it was interesting because, you know, she it was very much toned down. Um, she seemed quite sad too, obviously. But, uh, but anyway, let's discuss the actual points of what she spoke about um yeah, go on. <laughs> so yeah, so there were a few things a as I said, about your faves like no I said, one cares <laughs> that you love them okay oh my gosh you're so dramatic <sighs> yes continue mm, let's talk about policy yeah let's talk about policy um so the first thing i want to actually talk about was the uh, one of the things that she announced that the government are going to try and do this year is to um make planning basically plan the planning process a lot easier removing red tape uh, both in terms of building you know schools and and and, and buildings but also right. houses um and obviously oh as excellent we know, mm, can't wait we're going to be living in some you know paper thin shacks where every time your neighbor goes up the stairs it sounds like they're directly stepping on top of your family can't wait it's going to be great because well, we don't have enough problems with the buildings that these new build people are propping up all over the place in you know six months. It's going to be wonderful. Can't wait. I say we trust Tories with regulation. Your faves. So um, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, um, it's obvious uh-huh. to everybody that we have do not have enough houses. Um, you know. Okay, no, sorry. I know okay. you're going to be annoyed with me for <laughs> cutting you off, go, go, but, go, go, but 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 but. I think, and then we're not even talking about housing this week, but I have to put this out there. The issue is not that we don't have, the price of houses is not rising because we do not have enough houses. That is not what the issue is. That's not the issue. So let's let's disabuse ourselves of that notion. Let's stop feeding into it. Otherwise, there's going to be a continual building of houses that last five years. And then when you move out of them, you're trying to sell them for the same 550 that you bought them for and no one's going to buy them. And that's what the issue is. That overstocking, overstock overselling of, of the high prices of houses so people can't afford them like okay fine you know what i'm going on i apologize never mind carry on what were you saying corey mm-hmm. planning permission the queen's reach so as i was saying uh the government have already committed to building three hundred thousand new homes a year um i think that's uh, for the words i don't that's just not gonna happen i don't see that happening um i mean i wasn't actually making the point about supply and demand and how house prices are skyrocketing because we don't have enough homes that's not the point I was making. I was merely making the observation that we don't have enough homes. Um, and, and based there on is, what? Based on why do you think that there's not enough homes? What are the like? What are the um the like? What are the key factors to you that are letting make you think that there's not enough homes in this country for people? Well, there's a number of factors, isn't there? Um, 
you know, after, oh, you know, because sorry, carry on. Yeah, there are a number of reasons. You know, part of it is to do with the fact that you've got um, a lot of sort of overseas investment money, which buys up a lot of property in a lot of major cities. Um, sometimes not even um, there's nobody living in them. So that's one thing. I mean, that's that's <clears throat> that's one thing. Um, you know, if you want to go further back, you can go back to the 80s. You can discuss about selling off council homes and not replacing them. That's a, that's an even bigger factor. Um, so it's not that there's not there's, enough homes. It's not enough home, homes that people can afford. Oh, definitely. Yeah, of, of course. Yeah. Social housing is is in. Let's is be in specific the, about yeah. the issue, though. I think. Well, I mean, okay, fair enough. I, I think that's yes. a bit of a more nuanced discussion. But the point is absolutely. That, but you know, let's. But we have to refute these claims when they're mm-hmm. made, because otherwise, now that's what the narrative is. The narrative is: if we just build a hundred million houses, then all of a sudden everybody will be able to afford a house. No, because if they're still being bought up by. Um, billionaire investors or to hide money or for whatever other reasons and there are unaffordable prices if we have 200 well, million the, houses that no, cost part, part of the problem though as well is, doesn't make any difference part of the problem as well is that you know whether you're like, wages sorry sorry go on part of the problem is as well is that the there are a number of the red tape is too the red tape that that stops us building the amount of homes that we need at the pace we need is is a, is a real blockage to, to building this is such a libertarian take from you. It is absolutely nothing to do with red tape. They're building 5,000 homes currently in Black Horse Road where there is one tube stop and the oh, amount of pressure that is going to put on local um, services right. in terms of public transport, it has absolutely nothing to do with red tape so because if it was thing. red tape, it would be being built. And but, you know, we wouldn't be building all these houses with all this cladding on it that is going to catch fire if there was supposedly red tape. There's clearly not enough red tape. Right. What I'm talking, I'm talking about the lo- I'm talking about location. So you've made a point about somewhere, I guess, close to you, where they're building. You know, same up here. They're building. You know, these high rises go up within, and you know, within within a couple of months. But the problem is, is that you've got a lot of land, which it is difficult. So that's that's where a lot of the red tape issue comes in because you've got a, you've got a lot of land where it's 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 overly burdensome for developers to build on, and that's something. But they shouldn't build there then. Well, I disagree. Else? I disagree. I mean, you of sound like you well, no, because you forget, sound like forget views, forget looking down on ye olde green England as we look at down at the hedgerows as we fly into the city. You know, forget all of that. Let's just build everywhere so that you've got poor roving hedgehogs who can't find their way home. There's foxes everywhere because we've kicked them out of their natural habitats. No, we don't need flats everywhere. God forbid you have a view out of your window. Oh my goodness. I mean, you sound like a Southern Shire Tory MP. Um, you're the <laughs> I one know, who I sounds. Do. You do. You do. I mean, it, it's it's fascinating. I'm you're giving pe- into the nimbyism. I know. It's Guess what? I contain multitudes. You're painting me as one of them. You're the one who sounds like them. You sound like, for example, Anthony Brown, MP for South Cambridgeshire, and he says, oh, "As we as we embrace new voters, we should not lose sight of our traditional voters." You've got Bim Alafami, who's a Tory MP for Hitchin and Harpenden, saying, "You know, we just." We just have to bear in mind as a national party, we govern for the whole nation. You've got even Theresa May, who her constituency, I believe, is in is it in Oxfordshire. She's one well, of she's Maidenhead, also isn't it? Maidenhead. Sorry, yeah, I was thinking of Cameron. Yeah, she's in you know in Maidenhead. She's another one who's um, quoted to be fearful that Johnson's proposal to reform planning, you know, could see wrong homes in the wrong places. So for all your talk of for all your talk of of me buying into these sort of right wing libertarian arguments about house building, you sound like Tory MPs who don't want to build on the land that we have that we should be building on. And I'm saying that we should, mm. they're, they're planning, I'm all for pla- uh, the planning rules being revised so that Absolutely. more homes can be built in these places yeah. because we do That's need more homes. 
that's not as what going what's going to happen. A failure to you know keep an eye on planning is what's having people building you know seven foot basements around London and half of their houses collapsing in it because people can just do what they want. And it's like I understand what you're saying about building more homes, but let's take into account we've just we've been in lockdown for you know nearly 18 months and there are people who have homes that have no outdoor space this is a problem why are we not building one balconies that you can spread out on you know at least six foot long and things like that people are built you're building flats that could house 200 people with nowhere else for anybody to go and when there's a loss of the public sphere and public parks as well all the outdoor space is now becoming privatized and it's also an issue so before we move on to the, one of the other uh, elements of the Queen's speech, um, there was there was another uh, another proposal which they're going to be bringing in this year. I only mention it because it relates to what you've just meant you've just said, and it's to do with uh, making it increasing the um, the pressure on developers on 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 developers on builders to make sure that these high rises are built in a safe way, especially when it comes to things like cladding. Um, so that 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 was something else. I wasn't going to mention it, but it relates to what you've just said about sort of the you know cowboy builders essentially. Um, anyway, oh wait, actually, sorry. Yeah, just to, before we move on from house building, I think it's important to point about talking about all this removal of red tape, et cetera, et cetera. Recently on the vote in parliament, when there was a vote about whether they should be passing on the costs of the cladding repair rules and removals um, onto the developers or to the leaseholders, that's the people who maybe own or rent their flats, the Conservative Party voted for the people who own the flats, who it's not their fault, who didn't make any decisions. They're the people who are going to be carrying the burden of the costs of make, rectifying this mistake. So do not think that these people are for you because they're not. Of course they've done that because the developers, they're their they're donors. Anyway, exactly. It's not rocket science. Anyway, uh, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, you know, mm. it's obvious. Anyway, Yes, because that thing. makes sense. It what, doesn't make sense. But anyway, the next thing, uh, which might be a little less contentious, I'm not sure. Um, they're looking <laughs> at, so the next thing she discussed was essentially repealing the fixed term Parliament Tax. And this was in the Tory manifesto from 2019. So for those who yeah. don't know, in 2010, a new law was passed that limited parliaments to five years. So in the past, you know, whenever a, a government wanted, they could call a general election as long as they had a majority in the House of Commons. Um, it, it, obviously, it had to be it had to be within five years, so you could never go over five years. But essentially, it gave governments the ability to call an election whenever it was most favourable to them. So then, in two thousand and ten, Cameron government brought um, introduced a law which, as it says on the tin, fixed the parliamentary term to five years. So now, but John, Boris wants to reverse that to go back to how it was before. I am um, very much for the fixed term parliament act. I think the idea. Um, at the time, I, I backed it. I think it was the. I think I think it's the most sensible thing. Um, and now they're going to get rid of it again. What do you think? There are rumours that Boz is planning on calling a general election in twenty twenty three. I'm tired, and I'm a person who loves a vote. I think I consider it not even my civic duty. I enjoy participating in the political conversation. I think it's important for me as part of my values. However. I'm tired of voting. I like the lady. I'm tired. I'm tired of it every day. Locals, EU referendum. I don't want to do it anymore. Left me alone. I got things to do. You lot have won. Okay, relax. Yeah, no I more mayoral. Oh my goodness gracious! The other day when we voted, there was about four different papers. Oh please, no more. Once every so five years is fine. I counted the other day the amount of elections that I voted in, not including local elections because they're every year. So in terms of mm. national elections, I've voted in since I I, uh, I was I've been eligible to vote. So the first election, first time I was eligible to vote, um, for, on a national. Seven. <laughs> oh, for Tony. Do you know what? I'm sick of these age jokes. No, it was 2010. 
2010 was the first time I was eligible to vote in the national election. 2010 general, general election. In the past 11 years, I voted seven times in national elections. Seven times. So I, I am completely with you with this sort of just exhaustion of, of going to the polls. You know? And then, sorry, if they bring... I know you're going to move on to this point, but let's, you know, let's you know, bring them together. It's a cute little segue, you know, I'm out here. If then they're going to bring in voter ID laws... You might not mad because what I me usually my voting thing is whenever I'm free on my way home if I wake up if I'm going for a walk I'll pop down to the booth and go and vote. Now I've got to walk with ID, <laughs> not a specific type of ID, and also I don't believe in voter ID, which you, I'm sure you probably know that I wouldn't believe in voter ID. But this idea that now you can't just voting can't just be one of your daily errands that you quickly run out on while you're doing something else. It now has to be a planned activity. I turn up to the voting booth with my two hands swinging and give them my address and my name and go and vote, and I always have at the same community hall that I've been going to my whole life. And for it now to become this whole thing, it's just, it's quite clear that they're trying to put in barriers to voting in one way or another, or generally just discourage us from it. So what yes, uh, that is another um, another proposal. That was a good segue, didn't you? Yeah, voter ID. So the uh, government are, are very, uh, very keen on bringing in voter ID. So where Why do you, you go that to the polls, you'd have to present ID. I mean, <clears throat> look, if the idea is free, mm. if it's free, mm. if it's mm-hmm. something that's given, that it's some sort of ID that's given to people without them having mm-hmm. to pay for it, because obviously mm-hmm. when it comes to passports, driving licenses, for those who don't have it and don't need it, it's an, it's an unnecessary, it's an expense that a lot of people can't afford. Um, mm-hmm. If the ID is free, okay, that, that counteracts that. Um, for me, I don't really sort of have too much of a philosoph- philosophical um, sort of objection to it. It's more a practical one. Why? We have literally no voter fraud in, in the UK. We have we have no mm-hmm. voter fraud. So for yeah. me, it's just an unnecessary expense. An unnecessary expense, by the way, which Boris Johnson in the mid-2000s, when Tony Blair was trying to introduce it, said himself was unnecessary and expensive and that he was totally against it. But we shouldn't be surprised. He would, that eat, he would eat his something or other. Yes, he, he would eat his card, card or his shirt. Yes. There we go. Um, so for me, so for me, it's just a practical thing. It's like, well, well why? What's the point? Because, you know, the argument is it's fraud. What do you think, what do you think the fraud. Now, what do you think the, the reason is, is that they're actually bringing voter ID cards? Considering that realistically, that part, that party, that spectrum of thought has been against it always until recently. What do you think the reason is? Or is it, do you think it's just, you know, because um, they're trying to solidify their um, hold over the, the electoral map and the electoral... Um, no, they, there are other ways yeah. of them. There are other ways of them doing that. Well, there's going to be redrawing are, of the boundaries exactly. as well. That, that redrawing... redrawing that plus the other... Boundaries. Redrawing constituency boundaries would do so much more mm-hmm. for solidifying, you know, conservative votes than than anything else. I, I honestly don't know because it's not even an issue here. It's not even a cultural issue here, like it is in America. Um, and like I said, there are. Yeah. It's likely that they're going to make these cards free. So, again, I don't. Ooh. So I don't. So I don't buy into. The, I don't buy into the conspiracies that oh, it's to it's to block certain voters from voting because if they're going to make. So it do free, you just think what? it's um it's another mechanism of you know an attempt to create different avenues of a culture war. I just, no, and that's what I'm saying. I don't even think it's a culture war because it's not a cultural issue here. Um, I just think it's another, for me, it's just another example of this supposedly conservative government <laughs> operating more and more like a total As a big nan- state. nanny state. Yeah. Extremely, the expansion of the state into parts of our lives where they should have been is ridiculous. A sugar tax, you know, calorie counting on menus, all these sorts of things is the expansion of the state which I would not expect to see from the Conservative Party at all. So moving swiftly on from 
the Queen's speech. We are moving on to the Scottish Prime Minister's uh, call, not Prime Minister, was First Minister? Yeah, don't get over yourself. All right, relax. <laughs> the Scottish First Minister's renewed calls for, at some point, calling a referendum because free the people. Um, yeah, so there's, the SNP did not get an overall majority, but they do share a majority with the Greens, which would give a majority of um, pro-independence parties in the Scottish Parliament, which would essentially is, what Nicola is basically saying is two parties here have got the majority calling for independence. Thus, um, she thinks it gives her a mandate to make renewed calls for an independence referendum. Obviously, Boris does not want to be the MP the PM, sorry, who is in charge when there is one, another independent referendum, and two, if it wins. So he's saying, no, no, he's not about that. He wants to call a conference between um, Scottish ministers and themselves and other ministers around the country and basically try and broker some sort of peace, maybe offering them more power. Scottish Tories are arguing that there is no mandate for independence, independence referendum too, because they haven't got an overall majority, but they have got 64 seats, which is one seat away from majority. So really, it's a dubious claim. Obviously, you know me, I'm pro um, voting for independence. A lot of Scottish um, MPs pledged allegiance to the people rather than to the Queen or Buckingham Palace, as they made it clear to them that that's where their first allegiance lies with the people of Scotland, which I thought was um, beautiful to see as well. Um, I know you're obviously anti-independence and, you know, anti-self-determination for these guys. So do explain that stance, Corey the Tory. Okay, first of all, I'm not anti-self-determination for anybody. Um, so that's just not true. <clears throat> I'm just pro why don't you think the Scot? But why don't you think the Scottish should be able to uh, be free? What do you mean free? From British rule. But they are part of Britain. But they want to be their own Britain. <laughs> they want to be their own Scotland. <laughs> no, but this is, the, and that's, but well, that's exactly my point. Britain includes Scotland by definition. Um, I'm pro union. Um, that that's it, really. Why? I think. I think what you said before about uh, the claim that because the SNP don't have a majority in the Scottish Parliament, then that means that they don't have a mandate. <clears throat> I think characterizing that as the, as a dubious argument uh, doesn't make sense. Like at the end of the day, in a democracy, if you don't have mm -hmm. more than fifty percent then it's not dubious to say that your point of view isn't the majority because it okay so isn't. when the tories are working with the dup because they didn't have a majority in order to get things through does that mean that that doesn't count either or is it doesn't only count as what Scotland? doesn't count as what because because they used the the dup in order to secure their mandate for things that they wanted to votes that they wanted to put through parliament yeah. and if nicola is saying well her mandate along with the greens um, adds up to calls for an indie ref too because they're both independence parties you don't think that that's you don't think that's a legitimate claim to make or no i think you're conflating different things so basically so and what i mean oh. i know you're going to roll your eyes but what if you, what no, i mean by that, unrolled. they are actually they're not really um what i mean is this mm -hmm. if if there's some vote on some sort of legislation in scotland and it's voted through and it gets a majority because the smp and the greens both vote both vote it through then of course yeah. that's legitimate because most MPs... Yeah, but that's what I'm most, talking about. She's saying however, at some point they will help carry out a vote. However, we're talking about a specific issue. We're not talking about the, the regular day-to-day um, -day operations of a parliament. We're talking about a specific mm -hmm. key core overriding issue. I'm mm -hmm. simply saying the fact that they did not get a majority in a democracy means that their overriding principle of independence 
does not have a majority. Now, if you then say that a motion is passed in the Scottish Parliament and because both the Greens who are pro-independence and the SNP who are pro-independence um, you know, vote, it, vote, it, vote on it and say yes to it, then of course that vote in itself is legitimate. But that's, separ that's a separate argument to saying that they have a mandate from Scotland. And here's the thing, why are we even debating it? Nicola Sturgeon basically agrees with that point too because she's changed her tune now after the election, mm -hmm. she now says, mm -hmm. see, before the election, before the, ele the Scottish Parliament electoral elections, she was saying things like, she was very gung-ho. She was very much, you know, we want independence. Boris Johnson should, uh, should, should allow us to do it, period. Now she's mm -hmm. added the caveat, when the time is right. Absolutely, she, when the time is right. No but, my, no, but the point is, she's only started saying that now after the election. So she herself is tacitly agreeing that she sees that she doesn't have the mandate which she thought she might have had that's why she's mm. playing it down a bit she's very she's less gung-ho yes of course she's still pro-independence but she's now adding that caveat that she wasn't adding before the start before the election and the only reason she's adding that now is because she knows her, her position is not as strong as it would have been if the SNP had got more than 50% of the seats because if she was if, if she if she was of the opinion that well it doesn't matter that we've not got 50% of these seats us and the greens have 50 more than 50% so therefore it's the mm -hmm. same well if she really thought that she wouldn't be adding that caveat now about when the time is right and, and all of this sort of do you, you know, think political so because I think that when the time I think that when the time is right line has been something that was happening before before with no, Nicola but it wasn't and before with Alex as well but it wasn't she no no she, you no, don't it, you don't think that before then they've been they've always said when the time is right no, because you have to gauge you have to the gauge the political the political landscape for the no. time when you want to call an election like boris is doing when he's saying he wants to call a ge in 2023 no the point is she was not saying that before the elections she has only said it after the elections so therefore the, the natural question is why is she saying it now when she wasn't saying it before and the most obvious answer is she's saying it now because she knows that she doesn't have the mandate she thought she might have had Guarantee if they'd have won the if she'd have won the sixty four seats that they needed to be over fifty percent, she would not have she would not have been adding that line about when the time is right. Um, look, my my position on this is there was a vote in twenty fourteen. It was a no vote. That was seven years ago. It was seven years ago. It wasn't a generation ago. It wasn't the once in a gen. If it was really the once in a generation decision, then why are we talking about it now? Because that seven years mm. is not a generation. Um, I think the, I don't believe in once in a generation decisions for soft. You might not, but the SNP do because that's what they said. Well, there's a new generation. Babies have been born since then. That's not what a new generation is. <laughs> well, we could yeah, but we could change the meaning. That means babies have been born. Do what you like. Realistically, you're the party. Like, let's be honest. And um, yes, I'm saying this because obviously I, I agree with their cause, but if you're the party in power and you say, this is what we're going to do and you get voted in, then you try your best to do that. Point is, they've not Simple been voted as. in. They've been Point voted in enough. A minority, they're a minority government. Their vote been voted in enough to give it a go. Yes, and with, they did in 2014. Same with they did same that with in, And they did in 2014. And they can give it another go. I think something else to add, so we just don't keep going around in circles. Um, another mm -hmm. another thing to add um, as to why she might also be sort of tempering her language is that the opinion polls have, have gone in the other direction. Um, the opinion polls have really changed in the past six months um, to now. It, it, the the independence movement had a slight edge a few months ago. Now polling is showing that it's flipped Not in so the other much. way. No, it's flipped in the other way of, of people wanting to stay in the union. So that's another reason why she might be tempering her language. She realizes that you yeah. know she can't she can't win. She probably would not win a referendum if the vote was held today. 
not tomorrow. Absolutely not. I don't think so. And especially, I think, with the banking on um, membership of the EU and the absolutely abysmal management, both of COVID and the vaccine rollout, has definitely given some people pause about joining the project, especially as new members. And also the talks of, you know, European armies and all the rest of it, I think, where it seems like it's becoming increasingly federal in its management, a lot more people might be thinking, well, if we're banking on joining the EU, maybe we shouldn't be. The thing is, as, as well, um, even a lot of... Um... I was reading uh, Divine, Professor Divine, he's a he's Scottish historian. Um, I was mm. reading something, an interview with him yesterday. Um, and he he made he was making a point, which I think reflects a lot of people in Scotland, where they're not necessarily, um, they would rather stay. It's, it's If they're pushed to a yes or no, they're, they're, the, they're the kind of people who will vote for independence if it's just a binary choice. But if they're given other mm. incentives, if they're given other options, which keeps them in the union but in a more favorable state then then yeah. then they would switch to staying in the union and i think that i don't that, disagree with I that somebody like him represent represents a lot of people um yeah. so really it would be quite easy for any government whether it's labor or, or or conservative any uk government it should be quite easy for them to tweak the the devolution agreement that they currently have with scotland to really pull even more people into the pro staying in the union camp absolutely i agree i think from especially, I think you're like you're saying, I think in Scotland, if they agreed to much more increased devolved powers, um, you know, the separating of some economic stuff, the separating of stuff with regards to the North Sea, etc., I definitely do think that they could easily win over the majority of people. However, they don't seem to be offering that. But there is a, there is a low ceiling for it because at the end of the day, there's only so much further you can go in terms of devolution because the Scottish Parliament do already have a lot of powers. All right, there's there's not that much more you could do without basically just saying, look, we're just two different countries now. Because you know when people, people I've heard some people talking about you know um, devolving defence and devolving foreign affairs. Well, well, when you do that, you're no longer a country. So so you can't. You, there isn't that much more to devolve. So even though I said it, it should be easy for a UK government to maybe throw a bit more out, there's not that much more they can throw out, to be honest. So then you reach an impasse, which is where they're, where they're at now. Well, you wait another 18 years when we've, finished, when we've had a generation from 2014, because that then will no. be 25 years, which is the classically agreed definition of a generation. No, seven, change it. So another story that we've been tracking pretty much since we started this podcast is the, the continual sleaze and insinuations of sleaze that keep hampering. I was going to say hampering. They're not hampering this government because they just won a bunch of elections. Um, These men are robbing us blind and everyone's like, oh, well, I guess, you know, what's what's a hundred billion pounds between, you know, mates and your local pub landlord? Why not? I mean, I wish I was mates with Matt Hancock. I'd be a billionaire right now. Jesus. I think it's, I think it's absolutely, I've, it's I don't know, it's baffling to me how, how it just does not seem to be, to be um, affecting the Tories from a, from a polling and also of late from an electoral standpoint. Like, because I don't know. It's, it's not on the front Teflon. page of the news. It's just not that they're Teflon. It's, and now I don't want to sound like a crazy conspiracist leftist, but let's be real. The majority of the media in this country is right wing. It does not service them to be plastering, to be going on and on and on. And yes, they'll talk about it if it cuts through. But let's be realistic. These guys are going on the, um, they're going on the, the, the daily political shows and saying it's not in the public interest to know where 118 million pounds of our money is going, where 108 million pounds for PPE contacts is going that's what's happening and then there's no pushback the interrogation that we see 
um, of their of foreign press or foreign pol politicians or foreign guests is not the same is not the same interrogation that we're applying to our own ministers. What's going I, on here? I think failure um, a failure of the fourth estate to hold um, the government to account. I mean, I'm not. I, I don't know. I, I don't buy again. I, I don't buy into a lot of this sort of talk about the media. It's in the media that because because I'm what I read and what I watch is is media too, and I'm seeing questions being asked and investigation so where and, did you read about this then i've been reading about this stuff everywhere from and, and from no, both no, sides to guard from, from the guard from the guardian to the times from the bbc to the new statesman uh, because obviously because apparently the bbc is this bastion of right-wing media apparently um it's, no it's not it's just well, people, um, how, well, it's if, not, if, if you listen to people on twitter that's well, what they think anyway yes but, well they think it's they think it's people the left-wing think it's right-wing and the right-wing think it's yeah, yeah yeah but the issue but the issue is is a, is a, it's like, for instance, you'll be watching Question Time and uh, Diane Abbott will say something and Fiona Bruce will be like, uh, that is this and we'll give pushback. And then I don't know, um, not Pretty Patel, but maybe Pretty Patel will say something. Will Fiona Bruce then apply the same interrogation or pushback? No, she won't. And that's not, and that's not even being pro or anti. I think Labour and the left wing does undergo um, a lot more scrutiny. And I think that is why this is not, it is not being picked up so much. So on this, anyway, we had David Cameron. Uh, he was, again, and again, I think this is an example of where people on the left give Labour too much of a hard time because as one of the big stories now in this whole sleaze aspect and what we're going to talk about now is David Cameron being involved with uh, this company called Grensill last year, which collapsed, and him, you know, essentially texting uh, Rishi Sunak, uh, lobbying ministers and lobbying MPs, lobbying civil servants for, um, for, for, for a rescue package for Greensill. And um, you've got currently eight different investigations going on now they're not coming from the tory party so i think it's i think again i think yeah, the they're left, coming from the investigations yeah but i think i think i think a lot of you on the left you give labor too much of a hard time because it's labor who are pushing for a lot of these a lot of the grilling a lot of the investigations so this week we saw cameron he was being uh, questioned by mps he was being grilled by the likes of angela eagle you know really pushing him on his on what he knew when he knew because you know there's there are a lot of questions around this big company greensill who um were 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 in were backing a lot of just for a long story short they were involved in supply chain finance which means mm -hmm. that they would pay the bill a supplier they would pay a supplier and then they would recoup recoup the money after that now where it comes there's a lot of but there's a lot of exposure to to the taxpayer too because they were involved with liberty steel so there's there's massive implications there when it comes to um balance sheets which directly affect ta taxpayers and whether um money debts which have been incurred are going to end up at the taxpayers feet so there's a lot of this surrounding this and obviously then david cameron was essentially a lobbyist for this company so he was being grilled in parliament this week i found a lot of it disingenuous you know he was he, and he used he used a lot of um careful language you know a lot of i don't recall type stuff yeah. you know a lot, a lot of things where if it comes out in six months later that he was in a meeting and he was told point point blank how bad the position of green still was well he could come back and say you know what like i said i just didn't remember um, so there was a no, lot exactly. of that. Um, we're not going to obviously go through line by line because we've only got a couple of minutes of the entire grilling that he had in front of Parliament this week, and it won't be his last. Um, but it was very, yeah, it was very careful language, very sort of, you know, woe is me. I'm, I'm just, I was just trying to be a public servant. Uh, you know, I wasn't really going to pocket, I wasn't really going to pocket all of this money whilst at the same time saying, yes, I was paid very well. He said himself, I was paid more than mm -hmm. I was paid when I was prime minister. And it's like, Absolutely. Hey, why are you saying that? Because now you're making I'm it sound like- I'm also a shareholder. <laughs> you know, he just, it was so silly to me to say something like that in the way he said it, because it's like, yeah, we know you were being paid. So that's why we don't trust what you were doing. 
Um, so the scandals will continue. I think what I think the government um, are being very sneaky. So this public inquiry, which is also uh, announced this week into COVID, they have 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 penned this public inquiry for spring 2022. So this inquiry isn't going to start for another year. And if the no, stories forgotten are, by then, and also if the stories are true that they're trying to bring forth, especially as we were talking about before, by repealing the fixed term Parliament Act, they may that they'll then be able to call an election when they want. They'll may probably call an election in 2023. So the results of this inquiry won't even be ready before the next election. So if there are massive bombshells, the bombshells won't come out until after they may have already been voted in for another four, five potentially years. So it's very sneaky. Um, there's a lot of pushback in Parliament from Labour for them to bring forward this inquiry, not least also because, you know, if we do have a third wave, which I don't think we will, but that's another discussion, if we do have a third or a fourth wave, they're saying, well, we need to have this public inquiry now so that we learn the lessons so that we can implement them if we need to. Um, but I definitely buy into the conspiracy theory element of this, that they're just pushing it, they're kicking it down, they're kicking the can down the road so that if there are massive um, things that come out of it, which really paint government ministers the prime minister in a bad light well uh it's too late because well there already have been an election called and hey what are you going to do about it i do think it is definitely all of this is um a lot of political artifice i think which i will hand to the party that they are excellent at it and i think like you're saying you're putting, if you're pushing the investigations back to 2022, like let's be real, this is the British public, we're not going to remember. This Greensill um, lobbying scandal, the Greensill lobbying scandal is already got layers to it that a lot of people, it just requires concentration to even figure out what's going on outside of just giving your um, mates contracts. I think yeah, that, plus then the, the company no longer exists, <laughs> you know, plus we've got COVID going on and all the rest, like, there's a lot going on in the country politically outside of, you know, a small lobbying scandal. Well, not a small lobbying scandal, but a lobbying scandal with the next prime minister. By that time, Richie Sunak could be prime minister. Do you know what I mean? Like, come on. You're right, you're right. These things, are, they can get really complicated. I, I don't think, I didn't do a great job a, a couple of minutes ago of trying to, just because there's so much to it. There's so many different, and that's just one company, one, you know, mm -hmm. quote unquote scandal. And there's so much to it, all the different machinations and, and things crossing over at different points. Um, so you're right. It, it, it gets to the point where it's so complicated that, hey, ah, let's move on. Mm -hmm. So for this week's Across the Pond, we are not going across the pond. We're actually going to um, the, the story of the week, really. We're going to switch things up uh, and we're going to talk about the situation in Palestine. Um, so take it away. Yes, I know this is obviously different from, you know, talking about um, Africa, the Caribbean, the diaspora, etc. But I do think it's important, one, as descendants of colonised people, to shine a light and talk about um, settler colonialism wherever it's taking place. I understand that some people may not agree with that characterisation of the issue, um, but, you know, that's how I'm going to talk about it. That's how I'm going to talk about it. Um, yes, there has been... Uh, some bombings in Gaza. There has been the, I was gonna say the de-housing, I don't know if that would be the word for it, of families in Sheikh Jarrah. There has also been a attack in the mosque in, in Al-Aqsa. There has also been attempts at de-housing in Haifa um, and a few other districts in Gaza. I obviously don't have all the names of them. Um, recently today, I was just reading that um, there has been a bombing at the Medicine Sands Frontiers of, um, 
hospital as well. And so luckily, I believe they said that no one, no one in the hospital was killed, but there may have been some people who died from the falling of debris, etc., etc. There has been 174 deaths of Palestinians, of 74 of which are children, since this um, recent uh, skirmish or offensive has happened in the past week. It is a massive story. And I have to say that Social media has been absolutely excellent in getting out voices of Palestinian activists, of Palestinian journalists, of documenters on the ground in Palestine. It has been really good to be able to hear their voices firsthand. You know, there's been a lot of horrific imagery, which I would, you know, recommend being careful when you're online about what you're seeing, because there were lots of pictures of dead bodies and injured children going around. But it has been excellent to see people being given a voice to talk about their struggles and their experiences of the Palestinian struggle firsthand. It has been really, really good. So this, um, this really, this episode sort of started about a week ago. You had a case in the court in, I think, the Israel, yeah, Israel Supreme Court, where there were uh, uh, some Palestinians who were living in the West Bank, uh, Sheikh Jarrah, I believe the, the, the area is called. I know I butchered that pronunciation, so apologies. Um, and so these people were, uh, they were in court. The court case was actually postponed, but essentially the case was um, people, other Israelis who, were cl who claimed that land uh, were trying to evict these Palestinians who were currently living there. Um, it goes into it goes into a lot about you know deeds and people buying deeds in the 19th century and then those deeds being passed on to other people etc etc but that's what really caught started this recent flare-up um, following that then there were uh, confrontations where the Israeli police um, went onto the the, the Al-Aqsa mosque I think during I think it was uh, one of the final nights of Ramadan the final um, night of Ramadan before there was yeah. there was uh, rubber bullets tear gas and from that things escalated as folks would have seen through this week with um, rockets coming in from Gaza in retaliation to that. And then the Israeli army and, and air force pounding Gaza with, with, with bombs. And, and then a couple of days ago, ground forces amassing on that border. Mm -hmm. And also there was uh, most recently, which I'm pretty sure a lot of people have seen has been the uh, flattening of the, I think this is the biggest building in Gaza, which houses the, offices for the APE for Al Jazeera and businesses and homes as well which is which was reported as being a headquarters was for Hamas which has been refuted by the AP because they've been there for I believe about 14 years or so I'm not 100% sure on the amount of time they've been there but they've been there for a number of years and they hadn't received any information about it being a headquarters until obviously it was decided that it was going to be bombed um, like you said the issue did start over the putting up of settlements in Gaza. Um, if you want to get well, in the West Bank, sorry, the putting up of settlements in the West Bank, there is a um, what's the word? There is a program which is encouraged where there's um, Israelis go into different parts of the West Bank and East Jerusalem and set up um, settlements for the, ex the expansion of the Israeli state or what is con considered contested land between Gaza and Israel. And so they set up settlements there and are setting up homes. And so what often happens is people are usually already living in these places. So the settlement can be setting up and building a new home in the land, in the, on the land, or it could be going into somebody's home say, saying, this home is ours, you need to leave. And the issue then becomes about the facing down with weapons, the facing down with guns, and um, which then often can explode into violence. I think it's important here, if pe people do sometimes feel like the issue is complex, it is 
there, there is a lot of pushback. That is not a complex issue. It's an issue of there are people living here who can't come and sort of unilaterally evict them, especially where you say, you know, in this case, the court case had actually been postponed. Um, there's also the issue with proportionate responses to violence. Um, there's also the issue of dead civilians, the issue of dead children. There was a bombing of a refugee camp in which eight children died just a couple of days ago. And I think these are the things that Palestinians are shouting about, saying our voices need to be heard. And we need to be able to push back against indiscriminate death of um, civilians and children in the Gaza Strip. It's an issue. Um, it's something I think we, it's something that we have to talk about. I don't think anymore anybody who is politically clued up or even vaguely clued up can continue to watch these images and not say anything and not speak out and lend our voices to oppressed people wherever they are because the Gaza and Palestinians have the right to self-determination the same way that I believe that Scottish people have the right to self-determination. It's important, we need to, they should be recognized as people. We shouldn't be wiping out their culture, wiping out their ethnicity, wiping out their, their languages. It's not, a, it's not a religious dispute because it's not just between Muslims and Jewish people. There are Palestinian Christians, there are Palestinian atheists, there might be Palestinian Buddhists, you know, I don't know, but it's like, we can't just simplify it down to two religious factions fighting. That's not what it's about. It's about people's right to safety and determination and the right to family life. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NotBamePod. That's N-O-T-B-A-M-E pod. If you've got a comment or a suggestion for a future show, email us, notbamepod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us five stars.